of a must have dreamed a thousand dreams Been haunted by a million screams Well, I can hear them marching feet Moving into the street Now did you read the news today? confusion. That's exactly where we are right now. It is confusing left, right, upside down and sideways. No one knows what is truth. No one knows what is fake, what is real. <clears throat> Who's on your side? And you're going to say sides. What sides? Well, there's only one side and that is 
for the people. So how do we see this? Everyone's infighting. Everyone's going insane. This is where you take a step back and just watch. As I said in 2020, your gut is going to be the only thing you should be relying on. You should be taking a step back and watching it all unfold. And don't want to be here and say, I told you so, but I kind of told you so. Um, it's, it's something that's expected. In the age of information, ignorance is a choice, right? And back in 2016, you know, something people probably didn't pay attention to is that Oxford Dictionary kind of uh, selected that the word post-truth was the word of the year. And that was defined, so that's a new word, post-truth. And that is defined as relating or denoting circumstances in which objective facts are less influential in shaping public opinion than appeals to emotion and personal belief. And that means that facts do not trump feelings. <laughs> In other words, your feelings are more important. And so this is how they started to shape it. Definitions are very important if you pay attention enough. There is a fake news ecosystem that preys on our deepest human instincts. And that is your primal, you know, I would say your primitive quest on becoming successful and dominant and obtaining power, of course, and self-preservation, which is survival. So degrading information that doesn't align with your ability to survive and obtain power is no longer acceptable to you. <laughs> and it seems that the advocation that we see from uh, the uh, government side, and I'm going to say government, ty tyranny, I mean, we're under tyranny, is, um, is to put us in an echo chamber, to put us in a place where we can only hear ourselves while they operate. Now, while everyone's talking about all these things, discernment being uh, one of the key things that we should be paying attention to, a lot has been going on. You know, we have, we have so much to talk about and it's been two days and I'll tell you what, I know this sounds really bad, right? Really, really, really bad. But I felt horrific and like I fell behind on everything because I took time yesterday to cook, which by the way, the turkey wasn't even ready till like 11 o'clock at night, uh, you know, new oven, but we had ham and lamb, which came out perfect. The ham was dope. Um, uh, but I don't eat ham and I had some, right. Cause I don't like to eat pork. Um, but the lamb was badass. The company was better. Um, you know, obviously it was family and friends, new friends too, right? There were new friends too. But um, the day before that, 
it felt like time was escaping me completely. So in the morning I get up, I'm working on things, I'm waiting on things, I'm waiting on other people to finish things and nobody completes anything. So I'm like behind, like a hundred, a hundred, a hundred days behind on what I want done and it's driving me insane. Um, I was just in such a bad mood on, uh, on Wednesday. It's ridiculous. Um, Today, as I was running around uh, doing errands, trying to charge my car, which, by the way, man, there was a line for the Tesla cars. I had I keep forgetting stealth mode on my car, and when it's cold, the Tesla uses up more battery if I leave it outside and on stealth mode. And, you know, I ended up going to the charging station with like 1%. And then I have to wait there <laughs> to, to, to pull in, but it all worked out. And I'm going to finish that um, amazing Korean drama that I'm watching. It's called uh, My Name. Uh, it's, it's like so awesome and so messed up at the same time. I finally made it. It's been a couple months now and I'm on episode seven. It's almost Christmas. And it's taken us five years, six years, for those of us that have been paying attention to the elections, obviously, when President Trump started running, six years to realize that we have no media, six years to realize that while you're putting other fires out, other ones are raging, that you're not seeing the bigger picture, six years. Six whole years, six whole years. So yesterday night, I was sitting with our very own Dianon and Alyssa at my home with um guy I work with, and we were just talking. And I noticed something that totally slipped my grasp, obviously, because I've been so busy. Something insane, something that I hadn't seen the start for. See, the ignition, let me put it this way. Let's all pretend that we can all time travel. And we are, uh, you know, in the future 40 years. And we're trying to remember events. But most of the digital data has been quashed. Um... Most of uh, the uh, books and publications that may give us information have been destroyed. And um, we are trying to figure out where the start point was, you know, like patient zero, or this was where it all started, or this was the thing that made things go, hmm, right? And we're in the situation we are now. So then we find that, we remember that, and then we go back in time to go to that point. Now, key points of unrest and kickoffs are easy to understand. When did the UN dictate that they work for the Chinese is a question. Now, one would say that would have been with COVID, that it was established and shown. But I'm going to take you 
to where I saw something and I can't unsee it. No one really on our mainstream media is talking about it. And it's very important that we do. But before we get into it, I want us to listen to these reports from Taiwan about some area that you probably never even heard of. And you're like, why do I care about this place? But Solomon Islands, damn, there's been chaos going on these past couple of days. And we are talking serious chaos, serious chaos. So let's take a look what happened four years ago. Since 2000, so, for those of you listening on the podcast, what happened was uh, the Taiwanese have now have been slowly alienated by people. And in 2017, they put their foot down with the Solomon Islands for, you know, leaving them, right? And um, they said, well, you chose the Chinese over us. But it gets better. Now we find out that it's not the Solomon Islands making that claim. But before we get there, let's go to 2019. So you can see exactly how this happened. Because you need to see the past to understand where the future goes. So the Solomon Islands are, you know, in the Pacific, in the Pacific Ocean, right? And for some reason, it's been, you know, centered in a lot of um, crazy ass chess moves between them. And oh my gosh, I think <laughs> DW News <laughs> thinks the same way. I want you guys to listen to this. Listen to this very carefully. Island paradise in the Pacific Ocean. Ocean, but now at the center of a strategic game of diplomatic chess. This isn't a common description for the Solomon Islands, but since it established diplomatic ties with China last month, the US and Taiwan have sat up and taken notice. At the center of it all is the small island of Tulagi, an island with only about 1,200 inhabitants. It has now been leased to a Chinese company as part of a, quote, strategic cooperation agreement. The company intends to develop a refinery on the island, but its potential use as a military base has experts worried. It's worth remembering this deal came about after the Solomon Islands broke off diplomatic ties with Taiwan. 
the diplomatic loss was strategic gain for China, which now has an island in waters that have traditionally been under the U.S. sphere of influence. Listen to what the foreign minister of Taiwan said about this recently. From the long-term strategic perspective, like-minded friends and partners should really be worried whether the Pacific will remain free and open and whether the key actors follow the rules-based international order. Developments in the South China Sea in the last decade or so served as a very good lesson for all of us. I certainly don't want to see the Pacific turn into another South China Sea with us one day or signing that it is too late for us to do anything. So what does he mean? We need to take a look at two maps to understand this. And to explain that, Ola Alsakar is with me in the studio to help us make more sense of this. Ola, welcome. What is the connection between the South China Sea and the Pacific? Hi, Birosh. Uh, let's first take a look at this map of the South China Sea. The red line that you can see here is no, what is known as the nine dash line. That is the demarcation line for China's unilateral claim to these waters. If you look at the blue dots, that, those, are the, um, uh, those are the territorial claims of the other countries in the region. Now, China claims it has an historic claim to these waters. The UN says there is no legal basis for such a claim. But that doesn't seem to bother China. There is an economic side to this. Uh, these waters are rich uh, fisheries water. There is also potential oil and gas reserves here. But this really comes down to military dominance. Now, there are islands scattered across this area. Some of them are just shoals or tiny coral outcrops. That was until Beijing started developing them, forming them into solid land and building harbors and military installations there. So what is the connection between this situation and the Pacific? So the Taiwanese foreign minister that we just heard there, he says that China will do to the Pacific what they have already done to the South China Sea. If you look at this map, this is Tulagi. If China gets a military presence here, that is significant. Firstly, there is a strategic significance. We have Australia right down here. Uh, the strait between Australia and Papua New Guinea is a major shipping route. Uh, but there are also a military significance to this. Tulagi was once the capital of the British protectorate of the Solomon Islands. It was taken by the Japanese during the Second World War. It was rewon by the Americans during the famous uh, Battle of Guadalcanal. So these islands have always had a link to, to the West for the last 60 years. And this is what it really comes down to. Uh, Beijing is challenging Washington's status in, in the Pacific Ocean. Now, Washington already have military installations in strategic waters belonging to other countries in this area. And now it seems Beijing is doing the same. Well, Al Sakar, thanks very much for coming in and breaking that down on the maps for, for us. Now, the other side of the story is, of course, that all of this has come at the cost of Taiwan and its ties with other countries. The United Nations recognizes only Beijing as the government of China and not Taiwan. This means only a hand. Hold on, guys. Let's talk about this for a second. I want you to take a think. Who was in charge of our Asian Pacific Command, APAC, in 2018 and 2019? And then think who was and who is now in command of APAC. Now, what have we talked about the UN before? Let's go back to Libya. In Libya, the UN has declared on their own that the only Libyan government is the one that is in Tripoli. But Lieutenant Haftar 
is the commander for the rest of Libya. So just that city is considered Libya. And then the rest of Libya, the actual territory, is by the Libyan National Army, right? Their own people. But the UN says, no, this guy is. Now, if you remember the turmoil, they kicked out the Libyan guy that the UN was backing out. Haftar was in. President Trump was trying to uh, mosey that area out. Haftar was being recognized because he's the, uh, you know, the local leader of that nation, not whoever the UN says. But I want you to listen carefully. It is the UN that is claiming that Beijing does not have, uh, that Taiwan doesn't exist and Beijing is in charge. Beijing means from the north, which is China, blah, 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 blah. So China, there's no Taiwan, there's China. So right now, Taiwan has like very few allies, one by one picked off the grid. And this is very specific and geostrategic, I would say, for a war, of course. Now, the UN that we fund, that we give money to, that we give money to, has declared in 2019, right, the same UN that backs the WHO, the same UN that is milking our money, taking our taxpayer dollars, right? Claims that there is no Taiwan. This is 2019. I want you to listen carefully. A handful of countries have official diplomatic ties. The United Nations recognizes only Beijing as the government of China and not Taiwan. This means only a handful of countries have official diplomatic ties with Taiwan. At the moment, that list is incredibly short. Only 15 countries, including Vatican City, recognize Taiwan as a country. Since 2016, Taiwan has lost five allies to China, the most recent ones being, you saw them there, the Pacific nations of Kiribati and the Solomon Islands. Here's what the Prime Minister of the Solomon Islands said on his first state visit to China after his country established diplomatic relations with it. Sir, my government and, and people have chosen to be on the right side of history and normalize relationship with the People's Republic of China. The Prime Minister of the Solomon Islands there. With me in the studio for more is Taiwan's representative to Germany, Xie Wei. Mr. Xie, thanks so much for being with us. You heard the Prime Minister of the Solomon Islands there. Has the Solomon Islands chosen to be on the right side of history? Well, I think I won't blame him for his choice because they may have their points why they switch over from Taiwan to China. But what, what I want to say is uh, these islands which has been leased to a Chinese company with very close ties to the, to the Chinese uh, communist regime is called Tulagi. I think they won't be too lucky if we wait a little bit more because China is buying all these habits, not only this Tulagi, we know Djibouti, we know uh, Guada, we know uh, Abu Dhabi, and so on and so on. China is expensing their maritime power. And since this country is not a democratic one, so you cannot expect too much from them because they are doing something not only for commercial, but also 
especially for military. Uh, it's interesting the, the play of words that you used over there. They, they, they won't be too lucky. There's a play of words that the foreign ministry uh, of Taiwan is also using. It's calling it uh, dollar diplomacy. And in this particular instance, it said, I quote, false promises of large amounts of foreign assistance <laughs> on the part of China. So basically what the foreign ministry of Taiwan is saying is that China is lying. Well, that's, that, that, that put, that's put in this way heard about this Indo-Pacific Strategic uh, Alliance. It's supposed to be under Greta Kramp-Karrenbauer. And all about less strategies, all about less business, what they are doing is to expand their power. And not only Taiwan is threatened, all the countries like like Philippines, like Vietnam, like Australia. That's, and that's and so going on. back to the South China Sea that we were yep. just talking about. But just to go back to a point that you were making, you said that if China was a democratic country, and if I look at what you're saying now, you almost seem to be saying that if China was a democratic country, this sort of expansion of power would be okay. No, in this case, I wouldn't. I wouldn't have used the word expansion. I would just say they are trying to uh, to engross the business area of China, and everyone could really get some profit from that. And in the case, as what has already happened, is it's not the case, because the real, the real purpose is to get what they want and not to share with the people what they can share. All right. Uh, let's look at the timing of these moves. Taiwan is headed towards a presidential election yes. in January next year. Do you 11th think, January, yeah. Do you think what China is doing has something to do with the elections in Taiwan? Sure. It's not only what they are trying to do. They have done already since the 19, 1996 when Taiwan, uh, when Taiwan, Taiwanese people tried to elect our president directly. And they have some favorite in the, I, w I, wouldn't, I wouldn't say which party, but they have their own favorite. And our president Chai Ing-wen has been so brave to say, no, we won't accept one country, two systems. We won't accept the so-called 2092 uh, consensus. Let's we just, are democratic. I need to ask you uh, questions on that. Let's just listen to what your president um, had to say uh, at the uh, October 10th National Day celebrations. And then we'll come back and continue talking to the representative here. The overwhelming consensus among Taiwan's 23 million people is our rejection of one country, two systems regardless of party affiliation or political position. Uh, one country, two systems will never be accepted in Taiwan. And you were, you were talking about that. Is that not a provocative statement uh, coming from uh, the head of Taiwan? Well, I would say because Taiwan has suffered under martial law from 1949 to 1987, we know the difference between free, freiheit, freedom and dictatorship. So we, we have so much, so a high uh, uh, respect with what we have received. Speech of freedom, speech of religion, and so on. And Hong Kong, China, Tibet, they don't have it. That means one country system. Because when Hong Kong was given over from the UK to China, right. The former, the former uh, uh, president of China said, just look over here, Taiwanese people, what happens to Hong Kong will be the next future of Taiwan. That was a promise. And after 22 years, the Hong Kongese people say the same thing to us. Right. 
has no has not the obligation to get into the step of what once Chiang Kai-shek and his party wanted, namely to say we owe we owe the whole China the mainland. We don't do that. The Taiwanese people wanted to want to say to the world we are we are a democratic and we want to govern us in the sovereign state. So just to be clear, what you're saying is that Taiwan now rejects the consensus of 1992. Yes. Well, I would say I have to say it in another way. There has never been a 92 consensus. It was an agree to disagree between, I would like to point out, between Chiang Kai-shek's right. party and Communist Party. Okay. The voice of the Taiwanese people is, we are a China, we are, we are Taiwan, we are a sovereign state. Right. We'll have to leave it there for the time being, but thanks so much for coming in, Representative Ji Weixie. You're welcome. That was 2019, right before 2020, right before COVID. China got in there and they took hold. What are the first countries we saw locking people down and, and strangulating everything? You think that the delays at the port are the U.S. or the trading route? Now, you need to see what's going on now. See, on the 25th of November, uh, well, actually on the 24th hour day, 25th for them, they started to protest. They're protesting big time. And now there's other nations that are intervening to help because they do not want to be owned by China. And apparently, according to the reporting, the Solomon Islands have signed an agreement. The United States... <clears throat> listen to this, this was in 2019, is reassessing its assistance to the Solomon Islands. This is 2019. This is what President Trump did after the Pacific nation cut ties with Taiwan in favor of China. This is what USAID uh, official under President Trump said. The Solomon Islands was a sixth country to switch its allegiance to China since President Chai Ing-wen took office in 2016, which by the way, she took office again in 2020. They reelected her. The move leaves Taipei with former relations with only 16 countries, many of them small, less developed nations in Central America and the Pacific. What's incredible is, is that, um, you know, the United States has held a position and upholds what is known as one China policy, offering recognizing Beijing and not Taipei while assisting Taiwan. So we have always been in the position that there's only one China, but supposedly we support Taiwan too. Now, so you understand in Taiwan, when they held their elections in 2020, they reelected Tsai, Tsai Ing-wen with a landslide. And she told her people, this election isn't about whether or not we choose freedom and democracy. She said, we must work to keep our country safe and defend our sovereignty. Taiwan represents an incredible move. This is the Game of Thrones. 
the United Kingdom decided to hand over Taiwan because they own that property to China. And remember all the protests that were going on. A lot of people didn't understand it. The umbrellas, this, that, the other. Well, it's because China is now expanding strategically in the Pacific, which cuts off our ability to transport goods and gives them a good foothold on U.S. controlled territories in that area. Not only that, the influence that they've exercised on New Zealand and Australia now makes sense as to why they were deployed first. It's the most egregious thing you'll ever see, but uh, you need to see how the people there are fighting back. They're fighting hard. Take a listen to this have been buying him influence. China has been meddling in other countries through its checkbooks. But now these plans are blowing up in Beijing's face. Case in point, the Solomon Islands. Riots have broken out there because the government backed China over Taiwan. Take a look. unbelievable scenes are from today. This is Chinatown in Honiara, the capital of Solomon Islands. Rioters set these buildings on fire and they did not stop there. These rioters then torched a police station. They stormed the parliament too. Police had to use tear gas and rubber bullets to push them back. This sounds like a local protest that went, that went out of hand, but it's a lot more than that. China's moves to weaken Taiwan have triggered this riot. Let me tell you how. The Solomon Islands is an archipelago. Around 710,000 people live here. In 2019, the government took a major decision. It withdrew its recognition to Taiwan and established diplomatic ties with Beijing. The Solomon Islands was among the few countries in the world to recognize Taiwan. This decision to abandon Taiwan was taken by the country's parliament. And reports say that Beijing bribed politicians to make that happen. The decision and these allegations of corruption and bribery were not received well by the citizens. There was lingering discontent in Malaita. That's one of the most populous islands in the country. In fact, the people of Malaita were so unhappy that they traveled to the capital to protest. These anti-government protests have been on for two days now. A curfew has been imposed, but the protesters decided to defy it. With the situation getting out of hand, Solomon Islands reached out to Australia for help. Prime Minister Scott Morrison is sending Australian police and troops for riot control. And the Australian government has agreed to respond to that request and we've agreed uh, to send a detachment of up to 23 AFP personnel who are deploying immediately, in fact even as we speak, to support riot control and up to 50 further AFP will deploy to support security at critical infrastructure. The protest is simply too big for Beijing to ignore. The Chinese foreign ministry has also issued a statement. Beijing is backing the government of the day, but it's afraid that the protesters will now target Chinese nationals in the Solomon Islands. China is paying close attention to the current developments in the Solomon Islands and supports the Solomon Islands government in its efforts to stop the violence and chaos. 
We believe under the leadership of Sogaver, the government will be able to restore social order and stability as soon as possible. We are seriously concerned about the attacks on Chinese citizens and Chinese-funded institutions and ask the Solomon Islands government to take all necessary measures to ensure the safety of Chinese citizens and institutions in the country. China says it backs Manasseh Sogavare, the Prime Minister of the Solomon Islands, the leader who dumped Taiwan for Beijing. But is China backing the right man now? Sogavare's decision has only weakened him. He lost five ministers over the switch. Four were sagged, one minister resigned. Malaita's Premier has been openly defying the Prime Minister. This island maintains its own independent ties with Taiwan now and continues to receive support from the Taiwanese government. And now the people of Malaita have reached the capital. They are demanding Sogavare's resignation. China used its checkbook in Solomon Islands. It bought influence. But the move backfired. The people turned against their government. And China's checkbook diplomacy is threatening the lives of Chinese citizens in the Solomon Islands. Vion is now available in your country. Down All right. So while we were getting ready for turkey, <clears throat> while we were eating turkey, roasting turkey, people were setting the Solomon Islands on fire. And the prime minister refuses to resign among the protests. And now Australia is coming in. You have to think, why Australia? Here's another report. What is happening in this archipelago nation, Solomon Islands? Islands. This, this thousand island, island country is in chaos. chaos. People, People are out on the streets for two days straight, chanting anti-government slogans, defying a lockdown, hurling rocks at the police, and even burning down buildings. This is Chinatown in Honiara, the capital of Solomon Islands. Rioters set these buildings on fire and even torched a police station. The protests met with tear gas and rubber bullets. The government then responded by imposing a 36-hour lockdown, but that failed to stop protesters targeting buildings in the capital's Chinatown. No injuries have been confirmed yet. To quell the protests, the Prime Minister approached the Australian government, after which Scott Morrison announced that a peacekeeping force will be sent to the Solomon Islands. The move is being touted to maintain peace and stability in the region. Now, why are these people out on the streets? Discontent has been simmering for decades. On your screen is the Solomon Islands country. And these are two major islands, Malayat province and the Guadalcanal. For years now, reports have shown that resources are unequally distributed by the government, which is pushing Malaita in an economical crisis. So residents in Malaita travel to Guadalcanal to make their voices heard. They are demanding their prime minister to resign. Despite growing protests against the prime minister of Solomon Islands, Vanessa Sogavare has rejected the calls to step down, he said. And I'm quoting here, if I am removed as Prime Minister, it will be on the floor of the Parliament. He also called on the protesters in the capital to return to their homes immediately. To quell the protests, the Prime Minister approached the Australian government, like I mentioned earlier. We must recognise this problem, acknowledge it, and we must fix it. There is another issue on hand. China, Beijing has been trying to sway the Solomon government for its in its favour for uh, now, back in 2019. Just few months into... The Prime Ministership of Sogavare, he switched the country's diplomatic allegiances from Taipei to Beijing. This, met, this was met with a lot of anger from the islanders. Vion is now available in your country. Wow, right? Well, we should, we should hear what the Australian Defence Minister said about this. Uh, we're just going to listen to a few minutes of what he said, and then I'll tell you some fun facts about the Solomon Islands. Let's go. Look, police officers have been deployed to 
these Solomon Islands, what putting themselves in harm's way in the cause of helping a friend in the Indo-Pacific. And this year, 250 Australian Defence Force personnel risked their lives in the Kabul evacuation, bringing 4,168 people, predominantly women and children, to safety. Some 24,000 of our troops and 440 Defence Department staff helped underpin the government's successful response to the COVID pandemic under Operation COVID Assist. More than 522 personnel were deployed as classified on classified operations abroad, protecting Australians from terrorism through Operation Augury, preventing proliferation of weapons of mass destruction through Operation Argus, and advancing our national interests in peace and security. Many thousands more have worked from here in Australia to support their efforts. And over the last two years, Australians have seen ADF personnel, including reservists, at work in their communities. Throughout the 2019-20 bushfire season, and during the New South Wales floods earlier this year. As we approach Christmas, most of us will look forward to celebrations and time with our family and with our friends, but it's not always so for our defence personnel. Men and women of all services routinely spend long periods separated from their families whilst on deployment. It's hard for them and it's hard for their families. They endure sacrifice on deployments. Those deployments obviously take them to all parts of the world, responding to natural disasters, there and at home. For some families, the sacrifice lasts much longer for them and for their loved ones for many, many years. And I acknowledge the start of the Royal Commission into Defence and Veteran Suicide today. Our obligation is to do everything within our power to improve the situation for those and their families who, lived with, who live with the scars of war and conflict far beyond their service. This Christmas, I encourage all Australians to stop and to think about those ADF families who are once again enduring sacrifices in their own units, in their own family units, for our nation. And ladies and gentlemen, the primary duty, of course, of any government is to protect its citizens. Without security, prosperity is impossible. And without sovereignty, you don't have a country. Australians understand this and they respect governments which take tough but necessary decisions to deliver security and defend our national interests. Now, that is why the coalition government has been embarking on our path since we came to office. In 2013, we inherited a policy and humanitarian catastrophe. Labor's weak security policies had it resulted in 50,000 people arriving, as we know, into our country on more than 800 boats, and tragically, at least 1,200 men, women and children drowned at sea. Now, we made the difficult decision to put in place policies which regain control of our sovereignty by securing our borders and breaking the people smugglers' business model. It was something that many claimed could not be done. And we went on to establish the Home Affairs Portfolio, bringing together Australia's key agencies, our security and law enforcement agencies. And during my tenure, we cancelled more than 6,300 visas of dangerous non-citizen criminals. We removed from our society scores of criminals convicted of child sexual abuse, of domestic violence, of assault and armed robbery. Home Affairs and the ABF seized record amounts of illicit drugs, tobacco and firearms. And most importantly, from my perspective, the Australian Senate Accounted Child Exploitation helped to remove more than 230 children from harm in the last financial year alone. The government's strong stance on countering terrorism 
has also yielded success, with 21 imminent attacks being disrupted since 2014. More than 140 people have been charged as a result of 70 counter-terrorism operations in our country. Terrorism, however, has not been the only tool of those who seek to strike at the heart of our democracy. Our nation is weathering an onslaught, as we know, of espionage and foreign interference activities at levels greater than at any time since the height of the Cold War. Like, stop. You're the ones that engaged in espionage. You allowed Tigger, right? Barack Hussein Obama. There's like a, a famous Winnie the Pooh and Tigger picture comparing Obama and President Xi. You know what we need? I need an artist out there to make a cartoon figure that has Winnie the Pooh with a honey pot, but in the honey, it's communism, handing out communism. And we need to put Joe Biden, you know, right there. Um, he could be Piglet, right? He could be the little Piglet. And we need that cartoon to go freaking viral, right? Handing out communism and everybody's got communism on their mouth. We got Tigger, Obama with a little impeach, you know, patch on his chest, right? The Eeyore, right? This is just disgusting. It's disgusting. I can't even believe that Australia said, oh, we're victims. You guys were the ones that allowed it to perpetuate. Stop it. Stop. Now let's find out about some really fun facts about the Solomon Islands. Some facts that maybe you don't know about. Maybe they're good. Maybe they're not. Maybe they're a little bit truthful. You know, Winners are the ones that write history, and right now there's a lot of people with that pen, and it's who's got the whiteout and who's got the more, I want to say, the ink that bleeds through the pages so it doesn't get lost. And Ray still reside in the Solomon Islands. Researchers investigating the site have heard and told many stories famous among the native people there. But first, where are the Solomon Islands? The Solomon Islands actually consist of about a thousand islands, and it is a sovereign state in Oceania, east of Papua New Guinea. These islands are thought to have been populated by the Melanesian people for a long period of time. In fact, in 1568, the Spanish explorer Alvaro de Mendaña found the islands and named them Islas Salomon, which translates to the Solomon Islands in English. During World War II, American Japan had a severe fight over the Solomon Islands. Most famous of them all was the Battle of Guadalcanal. The capital of the Solomon Islands, Honiera, is located on the island of Guadalcanal, which is the title that most Americans are aware of. However, the intense war between the Americans and the Japanese wasn't the only conflict at the time. It is said that the Japanese soldiers had encountered a giant. Marius Boyrayan was the research director of the Solomon Anthropological Expedition Trust Board Incorporated and one of the people involved in the investigation on the islands regarding the giants. Boyrayan lived and worked in the Solomon Islands as a helicopter pilot and engineer and ended up marrying a Solomon native woman. In 2010, Boyrayan published the book Solomon Islands Mysteries. The book had covered stories from the domestic people, which included his wife. He claimed that there were giants living on the islands and that one of them was over 10 feet tall. Other stories say I just want to say something. For those of you that are listening, the people on the Solomon Islands look African. Pretty different from a lot of the islanders out there. Just throwing that out there. 
Just throwing out. Kind of looks like it was Tartarus at one point. Yeah, yeah, that some giants were even up to 15 feet tall. The Guadalcanal giants, as you refer to them, are said to have long black, brown or red hair, double eyebrows, red eyeballs, flat noses, and wide mouths. The Solomon Islander are lacking the understanding that their giant race would be a big scientific discovery to the rest of the world. Whether by design or not, it is appropriate that the Solomon Islands national logo is the place that time forgot, said Boy Rayon. Boy Rayon also gathered many eyewitness accounts of the giants of the Solomon Islands. According to him, they are over 15 feet tall creatures that leave footprints around the construction sites of the Solomon Islands. Many local reports claim that the giants live inside the jungle mountain ranges of Guadalcanal and that they have large cave systems which span over the entire island. A fact that Europeans discovered centuries ago is that Guadalcanal is rich with gold. Over 40 years ago, there were a lot of gold mining companies that were interested in working in the Solomon Islands and they had started negotiating with the landowners in order to capitalize on this gold. After years of negotiation, Ross Mining had finally landed a deal which promised a 3% cut to the indigenous deal. In 1998, at the Gold Ridge, which is located central north Guadalcanal, the company started bringing in their massive mining bulldozers and started clearing the mine area. However, the Gold Ridge mine borders the Giants' territory, and it seems that the Giants are very protective of their area. It is said that one day, one of these huge bulldozers broke down with one of the pins on the blade attachment, so they weren't able to continue work that day. So they had decided to drop the blade there and take the bulldozer back to the workshop to repair it overnight so that they could continue working the next day. However, when they came back the next morning, the massive blade had disappeared. This brought confusion to the team as they could not understand how could an object which weighs more than 10 tons just disappear like that. They decided to start looking around the area and noticed that giant footprints which were around 3 feet were close to where the blade had been left. It is said that then, around 100 meters away on the small hill, one of the workers had spotted the blade. From further investigation, they concluded that the giants had not carried it there, but had thrown it, or that it had got there another way. It is estimated that the area has around 20 billion Australian dollars of gold still remaining. Another story revolves around an incident that happened on the Weather Coast, which is on the south coast of Guadalcanal, in 2000 during their ethnic conflict. It is said that the giants do not like fire, possibly because of their long hair. So if one is to travel through the giants' territory, which is not advisable or even allowed in most cases, they should take something which can be used to spray fire and fight the giants off. The story claims that five Tangeray men had a wind hunting pig with their bow and arrows and ended up losing track of time. It was getting late and it started raining, so the men had decided to build a hut to camp the night there. At night, as they were sitting around a fire within the hut, a huge hand and arm came through the hut's wall. The five men started screaming and using sticks from the fire to beat the giant hand away. Apparently horrified, they ran straight through the back wall of the hut and into the darkness of the bush. When they found each other the next morning down on the coast, they had been spread out over several kilometers. There are a lot more stories about the giants of the Solomon Islands and their culture is deeply embedded with accounts of the giants. For example, the Japanese war memorial on the Solomon Islands, which is located at Mount Austin of Honiara, is truly something else. Most war memorials usually display pictures of soldiers, guns, and the like. However, the Japanese war memorial, which is around 30 by 10 meters, has nothing like that. Instead, on the western end, there are four large blank vertical marble walls that should have writing on them, and to the north, there is a row of cherry blossoms that look like they are having difficulty surviving in the tropical environment. The only writing on the memorial to be found is about the famous Japanese sculpture. 
and at the base of the bronze statue is a half-human man with scales who is holding a ray gun looking thing attached to the end of his long tail. So one has to wonder, what does this have to do with the Japanese and American conflict at all? In addition, there are countless accounts of these giants on the Solomon Islands, and new ones seem to be popping up every day. What do you think about the giants of the Solomon Islands? Is it fact or fiction? I don't know. What do you guys think of the Solomon Islands? I could tell you something super weird that yesterday, as we were sitting there late in the wee hours of the morning, trying to digest all the grazing of food we did as we were cooking, um, and we had like a full house, we Googled it. I want you guys to pay attention to what it says on your screen. Solomon Islands, country in Oceania. Listen. The Solomon Islands is a nation of hundreds of islands in the South Pacific, some say thousands, has many World War II era sites. Guadalcanal, a province, is one of the archipelago's largest islands, honors fallen Allied soldiers at its U.S. War Memorial. Guadalcanal is also home to the nation's capital, Oneida, whose bustling central market showcases the islands, produce and uh, islands produce and traditional handcrafts. <clears throat> the capital, Honiara, population 686,878, continent, Oceania. Continent, Oceania. Uh, uh, continent. Okay, let's, let's do this. Let's do this again. What's the continents? Uh, let's just think. The South America, <laughs> North America, Europe, Asia, right? <laughs> Australia and Antarctica. Oceania continent. Hold on. I'm confused. Now, we have heard of the term of the area of Oceania, right? But not the continent of Oceania, right? And... It's kind of interesting because it's a it's a it's a region that includes Australasia, Micronesia, Polynesia, all the Nisian, um, and it has the eastern and western hemispheres. It's really weird because it's got you know <clears throat> it's considered to be diverse, uh, but for some reason it's considered a continent. <clears throat> It's considered a continent. So that's the, that's the, just the curious error there. It's kind of like the maps now, not calling it the Antarctic Ocean, but they're calling it the Southern Ocean, the Southern Ocean. So it's kind of like things are changing and, you know, no one's kind of letting us know that there's like a new continent. It's kind of maybe like the planet thing, but, uh, Let's see what Wikipedia calls Oceania, right? Because it's apparently a continent. Wikipedia says that it's a geographic region that includes Australasia, Melanesia, Micronesia, Polynesia, East Western. Let's see. Has a diverse mix of economies from highly developed and globally competitive financial markets such as Australia, New Caledonia, New Zealand, French Polynesia, and Hawaii. So Hawaii is in that mix. So apparently this is a continent. I see. I thought I would just bring that up because it's interesting. 
And what's interesting is that the Solomon Islands are torching the place. It's just extremely interesting. That's all. Interesting. But thinking of what is happening, when was the last time Australia actually intervened in the Solomon Islands? Well, there's a report to that. People are broadcasting about that. ABC News actually in Australia decided to do a very short segment. Please take a listen. On Wednesday in the capital of Solomon Islands, Honiara quickly escalated. Buildings, including a police station, a high school, part of parliament and Chinese-owned businesses have been set on fire as anti-government rioters, many from Malaita province, called for Prime Minister Manasseh Sogavare to stand down. Malaita is just over 100 kilometres northeast of the capital Honiara, but many Malaitans live on Honiara's outskirts. The deepening rift between Malaita and the central government has been spurred on by accusations the government isn't doing enough to develop their region and by the government's 2019 decision. All right, I had to freeze it there. Can you guys see the flags that are being waved in the Solomon Islands? Just, just look at the flags that are being waved right now, okay? We've got, right? It's like, what? What are the French and, 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 and what does France and, and Israel have to do with, like, like, what's going on? What is going on? Why are they, well, it's not the French flag, actually. It's not the French flag. I'm just sitting there. What are they doing? What are they doing? Why is that there? Think about it. Why are they waving those flags? I want you guys to be paying attention. Whose flags are they? Whose flag is red, white, and blue and the Israeli flag together? Just, just, just pay attention. Decision to end relations with Taiwan and switch to China. Malaita Premier Daniel Suadani and opposition leader Matthew Wale are calling on the PM to listen to the people and address their concerns. It's not the first time provincial politics have impacted national stability. I had honestly thought that we had gone past the darkest days in the history of our country. From 1998 to 2003, internal ethnic conflicts between militants from Malaita and nearby Guadalcanal became known as the Tensions. The five years of violence, lawlessness and corruption brought the country to its knees. Then Solomon Islands Prime Minister Sir Alan Kemakiza made a request for international assistance. It led to the creation of RAMSI, the Regional Assistance Mission to Solomon Islands, comprising of military personnel and police from Australia, New Zealand and Pacific countries. The idea that we might have a failed state uh, uh, on our hands and in our neighbourhood, particularly given Australia's strength, was, was the fact that it was there. It was one of the largest military operations in the Pacific since World War II and ran from 2003 to 2017. In 2006, riots once again took hold after the election of a new Prime Minister. Chinese people and businesses were targeted amidst allegations of election interference. Overall, though, Ramsey was hailed as a success, but the door for help was always left open. We're not going away, we're not turning our back with Ramsey completed. We'll be present. 
The 2019 election also saw violence break out, with the city's Chinatown targeted when current Prime Minister Manasseh Sogavare was elected for the fourth time. Now, amid this new unrest, China's foreign ministry says Chinese nationals in the country need to be protected. We're seriously concerned about the attacks on Chinese citizens and Chinese-funded institutions. So under the Security Treaty of 2017, Prime Minister Sogavare formally requested help. We are seeking to take no part in the internal issues of the Solomon Islands, but simply to ensure that any issues they have can be addressed in a calm and peaceful way. Given the history and this week's events, there are real fears the worst is still yet to come. Yes, it is. Could you imagine if the Canadians sent troop to America to quell us? That was a Luxembourg flag and an Israeli flag being flown. I sat there and said, France, that's my bad. I misspoke. Let me see if I can get you a better picture on the screen because it's a lighter color. One may say it's the Netherlands, but there is a symbol in the middle, which is theirs. So I want you guys to pay attention to who they're pushing to, who they are protesting to. And it's theirs. And then they have an Israeli flag. It's just the most bizarre thing I have ever seen. Um, uh, no, he's not the co-prince of that. Uh, Macron is the co-prince of an African nation, okay? The Solomon Islands actually fall under that. Do, do, remember, the British ha had them, and um, they uh, owned them, and they gave them to China. That's what they did. They gave them to China. And the Solomon Islands, just like most um, British colonies, have a flag that um, is blue and green. You'll see it in Jamaica, the Virgin Islands. You'll see very specific flags tell you a lot uh, about um, a nation and what it does. Now, as we've been inundated with, um, you know, movement infighting and, you know, I did it early on because we needed to trim the fat. I'm sorry, like losers. Um, we are having big problems. We need to expose 2020, but more so expose those that caused them to not reject the election results. It was fixed. It was fixed. So it is incredible um, what you are seeing unfold. Because if you think about it, think about our nation being in turmoil and being on fire. Let's pretend that, that we had another George Floyd wave, right? And you know, suddenly Canada decided to come and send help with troops to quell the, the frustration that we had because we're kneeling down to China. How would you feel about that? How would you feel like, well, you know what? Canada is right at our border. Let's pick another country. How would you feel if China came to quell our unrest? Would you be like, yeah, let's bring it on. I'm so into this. Yeah, I need a foreign government to come and quell the unrest. You have to ask yourself, 
wait a minute, Australia is sending troops to give COVID assistance and to stop the riots after a UN directive. Now, I'm still looking for this fucking directive that they gave them. It's like it's buried. It is a specific directive that was provided to the Solomon Islands that kicked it off. What is this directive? What is it that the UN ordered from them? They're telling you it's about being sold out to China, but that happened in 2019. What is this directive? Huh. That's what we need to think about. What is this directive? Let's take a quick break. Don't let me down. Don't let me down. Seems like everyone's let you down. Disappointment. But, you know, if you've been listening to the Tori Says Show for the past, you know, four years, you're pretty clued up. You were expecting shit to come out of Africa. You were expecting it to come into focus. You understand how this is working. And you could say, well, what good, what use is that for me? Knowing that shit's coming and I can't do fuck all about it, Tori. <laughs> my gosh, I choked on my Red Bull. That's exactly it. If you know, you can fix it. How can you fix this new strain coming in? We were talking about it over um, 
Thanksgiving grazing, I want to call it. I told you we were going to go through the Greek alphabet on these COVID strains, right? But now, you know, we're seeing that apparently a new strain has derived from those that have HIV, therefore giving everyone AIDS who gets it. (laughs) Has nothing to do with people that are vaccinated getting HIV, right? Absolutely nothing. Of course not. Stop it. Stop. Stop. Another way to what cover up that the job gave people AIDS. People are upset. They should be. But this can all go away. You can make this all better <laughs> the minute you stand up. But people are too busy pulling their own fucking pants down and playing flippity flop 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 to see exactly what's going on. It's on purpose. It is 1 million percent on purpose. Yes, we should focus on this. Yes, we should focus on that. Yes, we should focus on this. But what we shouldn't do is lose the greater focus. You take a 40,000 foot view. It all makes sense. It all makes sense. Uh, You know, the more I see it, the more, you know, it drives me insane, you know, Kamala Harris and Joe Biden come out. Oh, you can't come from Africa. Seven nations in Africa are not allowed to travel. Wait a minute. They're all black. Is that racist? No, because Biden said so, right? So South Africa and seven other countries are not going to be allowed to be traveling within the U- to the U.S. Because that's the them, right? They won't hop to the country next door and come. So apparently... Uh, uh, South Africa, like I said, <laughs> and uh, Botswana, Zimbabwe, Namibia, Lesotho, Eswatini, Mozambique, and Malawi, people from those nations cannot come to the U.S. Everyone should ask Ilhan Omar if that's racist. Everyone should ask, you know, the squad, the idiot squad, if that's racist. Omicron variant. So now we're on O, right? Because that in the Greek alpha, M-N-O, it's, it's alpha, beta, gamma, delta, epsilon, zeta, eta, theta, yota, kappa, lambda, mu, me, ni, nu, C, omicron. So we went past xi, the x. So now we're at O. <laughs> so next is pi, right? Pi, rho, right? Sigma, Right, we're almost at the end of the alphabet, so it's, you know they're running out. Maybe they'll go for I don't know Sanskrit or something, you know, change it up a little bit. It's pretty insane. So COVID pie will be fun to see. Maybe it'll have a three point. <laughs> I'm not going to do this. I want to laugh, but then a lot of people are like, "This is really messed up, guys." Don't you get it? If you need booster shots. That means you're immunocompromised. Don't you get it? I don't need to tell you that. You don't need someone to give you an HIV test to know that you're immunocompromised if you need boosters. I mean, it sounds dumb. It sounds really, really dumb. So we're almost at the end of the alphabet. I mean, unless they recycle it, which I highly doubt, you know, 15 days to spread, to slow the spread. These 15 days have been, you know, more than 15 months. Redefining days now. Redefining days. 
It's so insane. I mean, it's so insane. Hmm. I feel like we need another song. Yeah, I'm gonna take my horse to the old town road. I'm gonna ride till I can't no more. I'm gonna take my horse to the old town road. I'm gonna ride till I can't no more. I got the horses in the back. Horse like it's attached. Daddy's mad they black. Got the horses back to match. Riding on the horse. You can whip your horse. I've been in the valley. You ain't been up off that forest now. Can't nobody tell me nothing. Riding on the track, lean all in my blood, cheated on my blood, you keep going ass. My life is good, people riding on blue, it's the devil has some blue, riding on my blue. Ain't nobody tell me nothing, you can't tell me nothing, ain't nobody tell me nothing. Okay, and we needed that song. We needed to kind of loosen up. We needed to loosen up. We needed to loosen up. Everything that happens, happens in due time. I've said this many, 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 many times before. We can't tell you. We have to show you. Because even if we tell you, you decode shit and you put it out the way you think it should be. You know, 
obviously all of you know Patrick Berge just got he was on air and he was talking smack about how Patrick Pern talks shit about me but he's not talking shit about me now see things change things evolve but one thing I've said for a long time consistency in order to be able to see and suss out there must be consistency a tree is green, right? It has green leaves, let's say. The sky is blue. It doesn't change to purple and then back to blue, right? It, it, you know, all of these things, you know, there's got to be consistency. So all you have to do is be patient and try to find consistency. Maybe reread old tweets, posts, drops, whatever you want to call them, and just See it with these eyes. Start from the beginning. See, I, my kids, when they're studying, and they hate it when I do this, they, they read something and they're like, I just don't get it. I remember Phoebe. She was like, I'm not getting this when she was doing um, algebra. <clears throat> and I said, all right, what is it? Well, I don't understand how you take away this like that and divide it like this. And I was like, all right, let's start at the beginning. And she was like, are you kidding? Are we doing fractions again? And I said, we got to start at the beginning. You must have missed something. Let's reinforce it. She hated it. She's like, I'm not asking you for help anymore. You're having me here go back to when I was a kid doing stupid fractions, adding them, subtracting them, dividing them. She ate, slept, pooped fractions <laughs> for like three weeks. She couldn't stand it. But then when she got back to it, she could see it now. She could see why she needed those fractions. She saw the fractions differently. It was four years down the line. She understood the fractions differently. That way, uh, you know, it can be understood. So when you're looking at a situation as you're seeing all these people saying things, throwing people under the bus, talking, just sit and revisit like that. Say, all right, I've got algebraic equations right now in front of me. I'm not getting it. I'm not understanding. There's something I'm missing. It's not clear. Go back to the fractions. Once you go back to the beginning, you can see it. You can, it screams at you and you're just like, damn, how did I miss that? 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 That's all. It all starts to make sense. So <laughs> it's, it's, it's quite fascinating when you, when you revisit things. Now, while a lot of people talk about, oh, Fox, yeah, right. Fox News this, Fox News that. Nah, nah, nah. I'll tell you how you know Fox News is corrupt. Simply by putting people on like, I don't know, like Paul Ryan being on the board. That's number one. Or thumping people like the RNC does, like Karl Rove. And saying that he brings the receipts and the epic takedown of Biden's plan on gas prices. Like what the hell? Tubin, who jerked off on a Zoom call and everybody saw him is more credible than Karl Rove. At least we know he was just horny and disgusting and sleazy. Karl Rove is disgusting. He was involved in election meddling. There's sex tapes with him and Ali Akbar, right? They did it all over again with McCain. And here he is doing the same ass fucking shit right now. And we're going to sit and listen to Fox when they got this clown over here telling us that he's got receipts. Receipts for what? Maybe he can give us the receipts on the 2008 elections and what he did then.
us the truth that the rising gas prices are not his fault? No, it's baloney. The gas prices are up 61 percent since the time that he took office. Part of it is because of the overhang of the pandemic. But the other part of it is is the anti-energy uh, actions that this administration has taken, uh, putting a halt on new leasing, uh, taking ANWR off the table, uh, you know, saying they're going to have new taxes and regulations. And, and not only that, but th this whole thing is a kabuki. It is a fake uh, action to try and look like they're doing something about it. Think about this. 50 million barrels. Now, in reality, it's 32 million barrels because 18 million barrels were already authorized uh, by Congress to be sold in order to gain revenue for the government to pay for all these for, for part of the spending program. So it's only 32 million barrels. Now, why is that important? Because America uses 19 million barrels of oil a day. So they've just between the 32 million that the administration has actually actually used uh, doing and the 18 million that Congress already told them to sell to make money that's 2.6 days worth of energy for the United States oil and gas now look at this we're also doing this they say in cooperation with countries around the world China India Japan South Korea and the United Kingdom well the only per country out of this that produces much oil and gas is China India doesn't produces a million barrels a day. Japan, 123,000 barrels a day. South Korea, negligible. The United Kingdom, negligible. The people who've got the oil, OPEC, have already told the U.S. government to take a hike. They're going to increase the amount of production modestly, not a lot. And they've already told the administration, we're not going to help you solve your problem. And, and, and so now we announce we're cooperating with people who don't have oil and gas. Yes, yeah, so Carl, this energy release is going to give us 2.6 days of energy for America. That's unbelievable. But Mick, I want to get a reaction to this because the Energy Secretary Granholm, uh, she made a statement and didn't know how much oil the U.S. consumes. Take a look. There are various figures about this. So I'm curious if you know how many barrels of oil does the U.S. consume per day? I don't have that number in front of me. Sorry. Mick, you and I were both in politics together. I can't believe that she wouldn't yeah. know the answer to that question. It's like a teacher <laughs> not knowing how many kids are in his class. What do you say to that? Yeah, it's it, that's the type of stuff that gets you fired. It just does. It's the type of thing that makes the president look bad. And again, it's the one thing you cannot do as a cabinet member is make the president look bad. Makes the president look bad. What about the rest of the media? You guys here were a year ago. Uh, we were talking about um, Hunter Biden, Monkey Island, Louisiana oil and gas. And when the colonial pipeline hack happened, I told you exactly what happened. You want to talk oil and gas? These guys are the guys with receipts. They don't fuck all. They don't even have a Q clearance to even talk about energy. I mean, Carl Rove was in the White House, so I guess he's got all of them, right? <laughs> he's got a blanket clear. I wonder if they pulled his clearances. I don't know. Funny question. But again, again, about consistency and revisiting things. I, th I think it's important to listen to this interview that happened. Uh, with Alex Jones, no less, uh, with uh, Joe Flynn and Michael Flynn, I, I, I believe, uh, it, you know, I had uh, Patrick Byrne on the show when I asked him about it. And I think we should listen to a couple of these minutes. Some were quite satisfying. Let's go. Bilderberg Group runs it. You know, I mean, obviously, they're the top of the corporate food chain right around the UN. UN. They represent the Fortune 500. They openly brag that they're going to use cyber attacks to bring in their reset, that they're going to use a collapse in the world economy to bring in this new uh, global currency, universal basic income. They've now announced as of a month ago that they're officially with the UN. They have the world ID now through the vaccine passport that also ties to a carbon tax passport and a social credit score. So they've got this thing all set up. 
and then they foreshadowed, as you know, in, in some of their drills, Operation Lockstep yep. and then uh, SPARS 2023 that you talked about, they war game all of this so they have a way to have the battle plans but everybody finds it they go oh that's just a drill but really it's the battle plan as you know and maybe you can explain this to people and now they're battle planning and Schwab has said the next thing will be a giant cyber attack they're going to save us by taking over but the cyber attack may take down the old currency so they're already foreshadowing this can you speak to why they do that and uh, and, and and what you're saying is Schwab has said we're creating an angrier planet by creating a depression on purpose to then basically globalist control yeah they there is going to be a, a financial crash the question is do we emerge from the rubble as the U USSA the United so Socialist States of America or maybe we emerge as the USA stripped of the bad eye the the stuff that's really been going on since FDR that got us here punch some holes in the Constitution under FDR when they threatened to, to uh, pack the court and the result has been a federal government that got three times the size it should have, and we're, we're, we're reaching the end of that play. So the question is, are we going to emerge? I've always wondered all my life how that my father was an actuary, and that's the math, the mathematicians under insurance. Mm -hmm. So he kind of taught me this idea of something being actuarially sound. So all my life I've looked at these programs and thought, how could, how could the left not see that they're running things, that they're advocating things on an unsustainable basis. There's no, this is all going to crack eventually. And what are they thinking? Now I understand. I finally understand. They wanted it to crack. The plan was we're going to run it until it crashes and then we're going to merge and control out of the rubble. Now what he's saying is 100% correct. And he knows just how bad it is. You can see it. He's telling you how bad it is. Now I have made it clear that the economy is going to change. It's up to us how we do it. Remember, his dad owned Geico, so he knows insurance very, very well. And it's really important to understand how the economy works. I've been talking about the synthetic homogenous currency for a while and how they were bringing it about and how now, you know, the cryptocurrency is coming and how you're going to have cryptocurrency specific for housing, specific for food, specific credits for water, specific credits for this, because they will come and save you. The thing is, they can't save you if you don't need saving. And that throws a wrench in their plan. So again, this issue that we're having as a nation, as a whole, as a people. People need to buck up and suck it up. Yeah, wasn't Gandalf. Yeah, wasn't who you thought it was. Yeah, totally taken on the front end, on the front end, not the back end. Again, the hijack wasn't in the back end. It was in the front end. I want to make it clear. The front end hijacked. Ah, uh, but it was done for a reason. Again, you must see it. You have to see it. We can't just tell you about it. You have to see it. See it. So, so our, our mission, mission is to stop, stop that. that. And, and I'm actually quite optimistic because, well, I'll, I'll be, when we get back to election fraud, I'll tell you why. Because I think we're going to get uh, some big changes soon. But I, I'm actually, I, I, I think, as opposed to my brother here, I'm not as, I am also optimistic like you. And the reason what makes me optimistic is, is the asset that we have, which is the American people. I think the American people are truly, truly waking up. Yep. I think actually the, the far left, the far left communist, people who want to go communist in, in numbers is a very, is a smaller number, way smaller number than maybe the mainstream media or people feel is out there. I actually think 70, 80 percent of this country does not want to go in that direction. Right. And, and I think true. the left, I think the left has 
very much overplayed their hand. Now, will they continue to try to stuff things down our throat and do things to try to crush us? They may. They may very well do. But my, my opinion is, if my personal opinion is, if we get through this winter, if we get through this winter, and we get moving towards the summer where we're gaining more momentum with in the exposure in, in Maricopa and other city and other states, by the way, and and more economic malaise comes in, I think that these they're going to know that their goose is cooked. Exactly. What they, they do when their goose is cooked is what I fear, and I think is what you feared. Exactly. Mike. They wanted to have Cloward and Piven and impose the saviors, but if we all know they did it on purpose, it destroys them, not America. Yeah. yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. Well. Uh, and I think that something key has just happened yesterday and today. They're, Mike is right. Their imposition of tyranny is coming through medical tyranny. But we have, through an open source lawfare movement, and do you know Tori, by the way, the, the, the podcaster Tori? Anyway, there's this woman out there with this big podcast that has created an open source lawfare movement, got 50 Supreme Court state, state Supreme Court cases filed against ma vax mandates and mask mandates. Some federal cases, some a whole, you know, Simone Gold from America Frontline Doctors, other oh, yeah. cases. Those are actually just in the last week. They're getting, they're they're winning, and the Fifth Circuit has now the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals. Yes, great. Read the out. filing. Read, get, post that online because it, the judge is masterful in his yes. filing. And he supported the his TRO decision. that he granted a week or ten days ago. He supported it with a blistering decision. The decision. Spanks. I actually felt a little bad for the other guys. It spanks them so badly for outrageous constitutional overreach. Well, the signal that that federal decision sends across all the DOD and everywhere else means we're, we, that, that battle, they, we've broken their momentum in that battle. Yeah. That's a yeah. big win. A yeah. Win. And read that. I mean, and, and post, that, post that decision because the judge, and, I, don't, and I'm, I actually, you know, it's, it's when I get some time here in the next 24 hours, I'm going to go look at who that judge is because, to me, that's a judge that is actually using the Constitution the way it was designed to be used. When we think about uh, territory or sovereignty, right, we say states have sovereign, sovereign rights, we have borders that have sovereign rights, your body is a sovereign thing, right? So... The tyranny, this health tyranny that is being imposed on us. So the one thing that I, you know, sort of a big thing, and our founders always talked about it, but the, the biggest enemy of liberty is tyranny. And so when we see what is happening in our government today, you, you can't describe it any other way than tyranny, whether it's education, health, the illegals that are, you know, that are crossing into this country, it's the rising rates of crime, it's, an, it's this allowance of tyranny to come into the fabric of America, and that is going to be, that will destroy the liberties that we cherish. And I, I am, I mean, I'm a, I, I always get accused of being a worst case guy, but, I, but that's my nature because I've been trained like that in my military days because I know the kind of enemies that I have faced, and these are the purest of evil. I mean, there's, if you think that, if you ever thought that evil existed, trust me, evil exists, and it exists right here at home. It exists in this country right now. So when we talk about enemies foreign and domestic, I know the enemies foreign. And now I know the enemies domestic, and the people of this country are starting to see it. And one of those enemies is, is, is called, described as tyranny. And tyranny in, in the different uh, branches of our government, tyranny in, in the kind of institutions that were created, and as Patrick just highlighted, from World War II to now, it's probably not three times the size. It's probably five times the size that our government has grown since 1950, okay? And, and they can go look those numbers up. I'll bet you those numbers are accurate. The divine is waiting, is waiting for, for you. you. God, God is, waiting is waiting for you. For you.
Oh my God, he's talking about God. Stop. So I want you guys, first of all, oh my gosh, just seeing his face was incredible. Uh, um, he was kind of upset. I wanted to tell you about these lawsuits. So here's how they're going. So as far as my, I, it was very important that we file these mask mandate federal suits. It doesn't matter if you lose. You don't seem to get that. We've said that before many, many times. A loss is a win. So um, I'm going to tell you guys what my lawsuits are doing. And I know a lot of other ones are just sitting there. Other ones are getting dismissed. It does not matter. You've just made history. Okay. Your name is now case law, dismissed or not, first of all. So be very proud of it. Second of all, my writ of mandamus in the Supreme Court of Ohio, right, was dismissed. But here's the kicker. Since the Supreme Court also has the son of DeWine, who was the one that concurred to have it dismissed, the weird thing is it said it was dismissed on the merits, but they didn't say why. See, if you dismiss a case on the merits, you write an opinion. Apparently, all of them had a chat. One didn't want to even touch it. The conservative judge stayed out of it. He didn't even put yes, no, nothing. He was just pissed, right? Uh, he abstained. It's so weird. And there was no opinion. But the good thing is, is that I noticed one thing. You remember that constitutional lawyer that pulled out? Well, in her filing, she had put exactly how and where I should take the case. So now that it was dismissed in the Supreme Court of Ohio, it allows me to take that writ of mandamus and drop it into federal court. That way I could take it up to the Sixth, uh, Sixth Circuit and further if the federal court in Ohio doesn't look at it. So, see, there's always a process. Like, for example, my federal case with the school board, I appeal directly to the Sixth District. And right now, the Mayfield School District is fucked because if the federal judge doesn't force them to stop masks, the Supreme Court will because there's already a case that has been filed by all the attorney generals in the Sixth Circuit, right? And now they're fucked either way. You see how this works? The loss is actually a win too. You win both ways. If you lose, you win. If you win, you win. That's the way it is. This is how it works in law. I know a lot of people like to win, but I didn't ask for money. I just asked for them to get their shit together and do it. And the thing is, if the Supreme Court of Ohio said no, now I appeal to the federal court and said, his he didn't fucking let me do that to his daddy. That's number one. Right. His son was on there. D Governor DeWine's son said my case shouldn't proceed. Right. And here, and they judged it on the merits and they didn't. And here's how I should file it. And you know what? I know that there's one, two, three people in Ohio that already got fired for that. So they're going to be added in as plaintiffs with me now. It's game over. It's game over. I put a temporary restraining order. I come in there, not temporary restraining order. It would be an, a preliminary injunction, according to the attorney general. And I use that and it's boom, done. If the federal court doesn't take it, then I appeal to the Sixth Circuit. That's the Supreme Court. And that's how it happens. Pretty interesting, right? See, that's the thing. A lot of people, when they file cases, they hope they win right? Of course you hope you win when you sue people for money, right? Because you want to get your money back. You want to get paid back for the damages and blah, blah, blah. But here we're not asking for damages. We're telling them, do your fucking job, bitches. Stop implementing these unconstitutional measures. Stop 
superimposing tyranny. But on the other hand, it has to come from the people and not from the statesman. Because when a statesman makes that win for you, they control and sequester the power and it's not people. This is key. This is very key. So I know all of you have heard Candace Owens. I'm in the Supreme Court and I'm going to, I filed this and I filed that. Obviously, obviously. I was all over that to want to file that case. And I dripped it to three different individuals of, hey, we should do this. Private companies should be filing, not people in the Supreme Court. So suddenly the attorney generals jumped in and private companies did, but they used the same arguments as the attorney generals. Well, I'm actually in that same lawsuit with um, Daily Wire, Candace Owens, the attorney generals, believe it or not, co-plaintiff will be the North Dakota attorney general. Like, shut up. I got to be in the same on the same side with Wayne, which we know he's only posturing now that China has officially entered North Dakota business space. I mean, I already told you North Dakota's red, China red, right? I've said that for years, for years. And now you see it because they moved into Grand Forks and it's like, now they're cushy. We brought the Chinese. It's over. Um, it's over when they take over missile defense system areas. And it's like, no national security issue here. That's totally fine, right? But this is, this is exactly uh, how things occur in corruption, right? In corruption, this is how they occur. They occur in matters, in, in ways, in ways that you have to get crafty in order to fight them. Corrupt people don't like to be called out. That's number one. Corrupt people will change what they have to say if the wind isn't blowing the way they want it to blow, right? They will flippity flop, change sides, hate you, love you, hate you, love you, hate you, love you. Uh, You know what's the better one? It's so much better when someone hates you and then they love you. Because then you know the transition has happened. Those two feelings about hate and love are very close together. Very, they have the same intensity, almost the same exact emotion. It's just fueled by a fire that is just slightly different. But the minute it goes from hate to love, it's unconditional after that. Many of you in your life have seen that where you hate someone, you talk so much shit about them, you can't stand them, you hate them, and nah, 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 everything they do, they chew, and they're, you're like, damn, look at that bitch eating her cookies like that. You know, why is she chewing like that? Why does she look at me like that, right? And then suddenly, you become friends. They're your friends till the end of time after that. And that's because you did not understand your over- emotional output or uh, how can I say you felt like you were overreacting on emotions. Like they would get under your skin almost instantly. Right. And you didn't understand it. What you didn't understand is, is that, you know, the, 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 the hate that you felt was either envy or confusion as to why you felt like that or, or, or something else. But once you make that transition to love, it's game over. Now, having said that, I wanted to show you guys this new <laughs> this new graphic that we need to make go viral. Let me get it. This one. Now I'll wait for our, our most amazing cartoonist, right? Ecotunes to get this done. We need to get this to go viral. 
Uh, this is <laughs> that's uh, that's actually a statue in Warsaw. So weird. Why would they have Winnie the Pooh and Piglet in Warsaw? That's so weird. Anyway, what I want you guys to remember is is that you're in charge. It's not some president, some vice president, some senator, congressman, admiral, general, uh, you know, a businessman, non-businessman or journalist. You're the you're in fucking charge. OK. And they and they. Report to you. Now. What something weird happened today. There was a, uh, well, it didn't happen today. It happened on November 5th. But something weird happened today that prompted me to remind you of um, Nancy Pelosi's press briefing uh, after they decided to, um, dropped, to drop the vote on the spending bill. I just want you to listen to what um, she had to say here. Take a listen. Uh, to proceed down a path to advance a very historic and transformative agenda. The president's agenda to build back better and also to pass the bipartisan infrastructure framework. Create good paying jobs across the country. Building the infrastructure of our country uh, with mass transit to help clean the air, with safer bridges for safety uh, for the American people. For broadband to help people communicate better, whether it's distance learning, telemedicine or commerce, just family relations. There's many other ele- there are many other elements in the legislation that are very important, uh, very important to the success of our economy. But in order to build back better, we want to do that and pass the, the Build Back Better bill. I call it Build Back Better for Women because it makes a big difference in being transformative for women in the workplace. We had hoped to be able to bring both bills to the floor today. Uh, some members want more uh, clarification or validation of numbers that have been put forth, that it's top line, that it is fully paid for, and uh, we honor that request. So today, uh, we hope to pass the BIF and also the rule on Build Back Better uh, with the idea that uh, before Thanksgiving, it should take another week or so to get the numbers that they're requesting uh, as, as, I don't know, as, that's how long it takes. But, and as, as we do, then we'll have a Thanksgiving gift for the American people. I do want to thank the, the Black, Congressional Black Caucus um, for the creative uh, alternative that they presented today that advances the agenda to do so in a way uh, that, um, again, is historic and transformative. But that I'll give to the distinguished Democratic Majority Leader, well, the Majority Leader of the, of the House, Mr. Hoyer. Thank you very much, Madam Speaker, and thank you, Jim Clyburn, for uh, the hard work that you and your work organization, that you in particular, have put forward in terms of getting the work done. What is the work? The work is two bills. They are the president's vision of a better and stronger America, more competitive. Bill Back Better is the UN's bill. Bill Back Better is what the UN wants. It's not what Biden wants. Biden has no idea what he wants. He can't even fucking tie his shoe. Now, uh, you know, it's quite interesting. But I want us to travel back in time to about a decade ago. And I want you to listen carefully to this interview. 
It's hard to outgrow a heavy Catholic upbringing. And I certainly had that. I was an altar boy and all that stuff. Left it when I was about 13 or 14 uh, and became interested in Asian philosophy. My sense of how the world works is, is very Taoist, which is to say uh, Taoism, Taoism became Chan, which in Japan was pronounced Zen. So it's my, I, I guess, a, a Zen sense of how the world works. Uh, my sense of my obligations in the world probably come from that, that Catholic upbringing. So I'd say if I had a personal philosophy, it would be those, those two. And I have no disrespect for organized religion, but to me it's a handrail. And it's a handrail to help you get somewhere. And the idea is, the goal is getting, this, well, it's not even a goal, but there's that place and there's the handrail and it's easy to confuse the two. I'm not sure that anything has any meaning. I'm not sure that 50 million years from now, anything we've done means anything more than what some ants are crawling around on a rock, any more meaning that they have. But if there is meaning, that meaning is to be found in the in service. It's in the way you lived your life and and the and the the real service you provided other people. But I'm not even sure that I'm not sure that makes a grade. And we may all just end up to have been some ants crawling around on a rock in space. So that was Patrick Burns' take. Um, that was as high as the volume would go on that on service. See, your life has more meaning when you're um, in service, when you're, ser when you're serving people, serving your community, serving your family. You know, my daughter today, she was like, Mom, you didn't even like sit down. You were there. You were cooking. You had a stove you've never baked in before. You had pies. You had people. You had kids running around. You know, it was like, it was chaotic. It was this. And I was like, it was magnificent because all I did was like serve people. And all I did was get to see people and have them around me. And those people emanated love, received love. It was, it was it was perfect. The chaos is perfect. Those are the beautiful moments. I know a lot of people are like, yeah, well, if it was a catered dinner and you were sitting down and you had pretentious, you didn't have to worry about burning shit, meat thermometers, you know, cooking and all that stuff. Oh, it would be so much easier, but it's better when there's kids screaming, and you're like, holy crap, are they killing each other? <laughs> right. That's the good stuff. You know, the good stuff is, is when there's, you know, kids spilling things over, running around, there's noise, there's music, there's chatter, there's this, there's that. I like that. That's life. See, the sterility of having no chaos is not you know, it, it just doesn't give you color, color. It's, it's, it's there. And you know, the kitchen is the heart of the household. So it was, you know, I'm really glad we found this home to have all my children in it uh, because the kitchen is the, the, first of all, I fell in love with the kitchen. The rest of the house needs crap ton of work, uh, but it's like, it's amazing how it's just the heart of the house and you don't want it to be sterile. You want it to be loud and busy and chaotic because you'll remember it. Hey, remember when, you know, they took the Grinch around and they were dragging each other around the little kids? Oh, do you remember when, you know, Nix came and she caused trouble or was running around like crazy or jumping around? Oh, do you remember when my cat did this or when Biscuit did that? Uh, that's the funny part. And I think that's, that's something a lot of people are missing. 
the, the, the lovely sounds of life. <laughs> we all make it so sterile. Just like arguments, just like, uh, you know, um, uh, I, you know, I, I read the messages that are going through the chat times and I see just, you know, I can tell which one's like a bot. I mean, they're just on an uptick so hard, but I see that a lot of people had a, um, different, um, view these past couple of days on many things. And a lot of people are asking me to chime in on various things. I never chime in on, on, on what to think on other people unless I'm directly affected by it, right? Not a lot of things affect me. And the only thing that will affect me is it when it's bothering the people. And it's really not bothering right now. Right now, a lot of you are asking for someone to throw you a bone, not because it's it's confusing or you're sad or disappointed or I don't know what to do, but it's because you just don't want to do the work. You don't want to do the work and sit and think through discernment. You don't want to do the work and um, kind of <laughs> see it for yourself. That's all you have to do is see it for yourself. When you see things for yourself, it's so much clearer. So much clearer. I wish people would take that time to give themselves that peace. You know, people make sense of this for me, Tori. I need you to chime in on this and you need to talk about this. And it's like, I don't have to. You have to figure that out yourself. No one can dispel anything for you. The whole last year of 2020, I played the theme song. <laughs> I said it was going to be the theme song of 2021, <laughs> which is the land of confusion. It's so interesting how that is the case. Everyone's confused. What side is this person sitting on? Who's this? <clears throat> Who's that? Do I trust this? If you're still asking for someone to clarify, if you're still asking for someone to tell you how to think, then you're not there yet. See, I've mentioned it many times that your frequency is the most important thing. Are you optimistic? I, you heard Joe Flynn and Patrick Byrne say that they're optimistic because of the people. They saw what power you can yield. They realized just how it should be tapped, but that train is gone. When you transform your hate into love, the frequency changes and the intensity rises. And the higher you increase your frequency, the more you are able to unravel portions in your code. Fear, hate, negativity makes you resonate on a lower frequency. And this is why we play music during the Tory Sess show. No matter how shitty something is, I'll, I'll tell you why I loved learning more about um, Greek culture when I was a kid. I remember hanging out with friends, adults, 
right? At, at an adult age, when I would visit my parents, I would go out, right? And my friend would be like, damn, you know, and he's like, you know, 30, right? Uh, doesn't have kids, is still working as a bouncer at a club, you know, finish college and it's like whatever, right? Because they don't pay for college once they get in there. Um, it's free. He's a mechanical engineer and he's still freaking <laughs> playing bouncer. Okay, he looks good, but he's not that good looking, first of all. And why are you a bouncer at a club only in the summer and then bitching that you don't have money? Why aren't you working? Anyway, <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> a lot of my friends are in that situation, whatever. But um, he, you know, he would go out and be like, oh, yeah, I can only have two beers. That's all I can afford. And, you know, that's like 10 bucks because it's cheap out there. And I'd be like, you just told me you only have this until you get your next paycheck. Like, why would you spend it? Ah, it's one life. If I don't live it today, I might not live tomorrow. And what? I'll have five euros in my pocket. I might as well spend it on a beer. And that got me. And it's not the first time I've heard it. When, when Greek people are in turmoil, right, and they suffer, they party. They go out with friends and they drink right? Uh, they go out to nightclubs and they go dancing. Uh, they go out and, 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 you know, all of us would say that's completely irresponsible. That is so irresponsible. You don't have a penny to your name and you're going to waste your last five bucks on a draft big ass beer. So you can sit here and shoot shit with me and play backgammon. That's insane. That's insane. But they do it. And you know why? Because they have faith that tomorrow it's going to be fine. And it always works out. I kid you not, it always works out. I mean, yeah, it'll be a tough workout, but it still works out. And that's one thing that I realized, you know, from a young age, you know, just watching my cousins uh, and friends and people that I've met along the way. There are very few cultures that are like that. And that kind of, you know, makes sense of it. And even though I get really angry with the Greek population, when I see them like idiots, just bowing down to the European union, it's, it, you know, like I said, they, they have so much debt that the hole in their underwear is owned by Germany. Okay. The hole in their underwear, it has ownership by someone else outside of their nation. That's how in debt they are. That's how fucked they are. And yet they still party. They've got tyranny left, right, and center, and they still party. And they're like, ah, whatever. And you're just like, gosh, that's so irresponsible. Oh, my gosh. And you're pulling your hair, and you're like, dude, just do something. Like for the Greeks, for example, it's a smaller population. They could just walk into their Congress and kick out all 300 people and say, fuck you. We're putting up the borders. That's it. It's over. <laughs> they could do that because they have the power to do that. Just like we have the power to change things. But they're not at that place right now. They're too busy, like, ah, whatever. Which is, it's probably because they're being opt. But think of it this way. If you think positive, you respond positively. And you're like, yeah, I, I have two pennies to rub together. But tomorrow will be fine. Things will just happen the way they're supposed to happen. I'm not worried about getting sick because guess what? I can't get sick. I'm not worried about being forced to do this because guess what? No one's going to force me to do it. And you just keep reaffirming that. That is and will be your reality. It's all about how you resonate. I've told you that your DNA, one thing I study in neurology, okay, there was a lecture where we were going through um, at the medical school on uh, 
neurological effects, conditions, um, which was the first unit you took before, um, you know, neuroanatomy, even though we had already sliced the brains and, and did the whole, you know, anatomical parts and, and the skulls and everything the semester prior to that, the next semester we were analyzing on a more micro level, I would say, um, the brain. And there was a guest lecturer from some university for that uh, unit for that one day. And they were talking about memories. And I listened to them in awe as to how they have no idea how memories are stored. You know, a lot of people say it's, you know, you get foggy in the brain, there's Alzheimer's, and then you forget and shit gets erased. Then there's other people that look at certain aspects. They're like, oh, it gets stored in a filing cabinet kind of thing in a few cells in your brain. But that's not true. It's stored in every inch of your DNA. That junk DNA is memories, memories of your ancestors, memories of you that you've created that get passed down and passed down and passed down. This is code. This is a system upon a system upon a system. And if your frequency is bunk, that system will break down. If your frequency is stuck because, I don't know, maybe the insured amplification or silencing of, of a specific genetic code so that you can't unwind that portion of a DNA. This is why we've revisited that lecture that I, <laughs> that I put together uh, over 10 years ago. It was important for you to understand how you read and com compress DNA, how it's so tightly wound, but there are like sites on it that can be accessed like buttons. It's like key codes. You button that, it opens. You button the next, it opens. And then this protein sits and then it reads information and creates a, you know, a code that gets translated into a protein or an enzyme or, you know, anything. It just gets transformed into something or it kicks off in that protein and that enzyme and that whatever you make kicks off a chain reaction of cell signaling cascades that create an event. You know, just, just one ligand binding to a cell receptor can kick off hundreds of cell signaling pathways within the cell until it gets to the point where it's like, okay, now make this thing to read this portion of the DNA. Really. So it's, it's, it's really about how you resonate on frequency. Because one thing we noticed is, have you seen videos where they have frequency and then water responds in some way and it shakes like this and shakes like that and sometimes it just straight vibrates, sometimes it ripples, right? The same thing happens in your body. Remember, everything bathes in intracellular fluid. And the more you resonate higher, the more relaxed your DNA may be to be accessed. So <laughs> I'm just going to uh, mention that and leave that for now. Remember that today we live in a society where tyranny seems to be it. And a lot of people are uh, terrified 
about inflation causing high prices. This is because they want the economy to collapse. This is because they want to hack to change it all. But you can feel the change happening. It's definitely happening. On that note, thank you to everyone that came by um, and stopped into my home for Thanksgiving. Um, I had an amazing time uh, meeting our very own Dianon. Um, that was incredible. Sharing food, breaking bread with all these people. I had Grant and his family over. It was so much fun being with Millie and the kids. I miss the kids so much. Um, it was incredible. Uh, I hope all of you had a blessed one. And uh, I can't wait for next week. On that note, God bless everyone. I'll see you guys. Uh, we'll talk on Sunday for movie night. God bless.